Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. We are getting down to the wire. It is already December, right in the middle of the holiday season. I can't believe we've gotten here. It just seems like the year has gone by very quickly. Joining me this week, Gretchen and Bill, welcome to the show. Hello Hello there. Can you believe we're putting up holiday lights and uh, actually at this point should have put up our holiday lights already? Um, I'm doing mine today. It's just uh, running a little late this year. But yeah, it's. uh, Yeah, since I'm moving, I just found a few and I just threw them outside on the bushes and it seems to look okay. (laughs) You threw them. Did you plug them in at least? Uh, Anyway, uh, I did. I did manage to plug them in on a timer. Because if you didn't, we'd have to talk about you being some sort of a very unusual engineer that's figured out a way to power holiday lights without plugging them into the mains or oh, a battery. Well, I just I just borrowed Nikola Tesla's idea. That's okay. Well, that it's, works. It's that easy. Works. You, you take the the male end and the female end. You plug them together. You know, it's infinite power. Yeah, it creates a loop. It's you know, like a uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, and it's a funny thing. This comes up every year, and I see this, and every year I think, oh, my goodness, but it's a real deal, is uh, if your lights require the uh, adapter to give you uh, male pens on both ends to plug them in, you've done something wrong. Uh, uh-huh. Don't go there. And the scary thing about it is is you now can buy these, quote, adapters on eBay and on Amazon. I think Amazon took them uh. down, but it's... Uh, like extremely dangerous. You don't. <laughs> no, you don't want to do it. You no. have it in backwards if you're doing that. Um, you know, little common sense, but doesn't always seem to be there. I guess. Weird. Anyway. Oh boy. So, all right. On that note, uh, that electrifying note. Dun dun. Let's go ahead. And I'm so cover- glad you enlightened us. Yes, yes. I, I I try. I try. Hey guys, it's the end of the year. We got to have a little fun with this. All right. What's in the news? Well, 23andMe says to their hacker, hacked users, we won't see you in court. So here's what's going on with this. 23andMe, which is a site that does DNA to tell you what your background is, what part of the world your family's coming from, and that kind of stuff, reported a while back that they had a hack um, where 14,000 users were affected. But they've just recently admitted that it lost 6.9 million users' DNA data. So basically what that means, that's about half. So it's a coin flip chance that your data was exposed. So there are a lot of talks about lawsuits because obviously in this kind of a situation, that seems to be where these things go. So what they're doing is they've updated their terms of service saying that you can't sue them. So they won't see you in court, the headline of the article. So what you have to do is you can go on and opt out of this update. You have 30 days to do it, and I believe this started a week ago, so you probably have less time than that. If you're a 23andMe user and want to do that, do it quickly. Because if you don't, from my understanding of this, they can require arbitration, and it prevents you from being able to be part of a class action lawsuit. I'm not an attorney, but that is what this seems to boil down to. They're trying to avoid going to court. And, you know, they're saying that it's unlikely that nearly 7 million users will send that email in 30 days. So if a class action lawsuit does come about, a much smaller portion of the hacked users may be able to participate. Other side of that being arbitration. Ugh. Tesla shares 48-volt electric vehicle architecture guide. 
You know, I have to, and I do ask this question, this is for EVs, but, you know, of course, Tesla being involved, but most vehicles for a very long time have run on a 12-volt electrical system, something that is a concept that I think has been obsolete for a long time. And even to this day, in most electric vehicles that have the high-tech battery packs that make them work and all that, you still have your classic 12-volt car battery. And the reason for that is because so many accessories and things for a car are designed to work off of that type of a system. So Tesla is trying to push something new forward on this. Now, the way that they're doing this is a little bit interesting, you know, as far as I think adoption and that kind of thing goes. This has to do with the Cybertruck. The Cybertruck is 48 volts. You won't see a 12 volt battery in that vehicle. And it's one of the first EVs you won't. Even other Teslas have the 12 volt batteries. But what they did is they circulated the architectural documents among the other car manufacturers. This is how you do it. In fact, the uh, CEO, of um, Ford, I believe it was, Jim Farley. Yeah, Ford. I sent a thank you out to Elon Musk for sending out the architecture guide, and they actually, it appears, did send the whole thing. But here's where this kind of stuff goes. Tesla has a potential of making a lot more money off of the charging stations than they do off of selling their cars. If they can get people to adopt their standard is the way that you would uh, plug it into. This is very similar to the wars between Tesla and uh, Edison back 100 years ago, where one was wanting to do one kind of an electrical system and one was doing the other. Edison at that time being DC, Tesla being AC. AC ultimately ran out or or, or won out because that's what we use for the most part now. But again, at the end of the day, getting the standard can be very beneficial. So I have a funny feeling that's probably working into why this was done. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I do think, though, that in an overall standpoint changing from the old 12 volt lead battery system that we see everywhere does make a lot of sense but it has to be done in a way that would work and again a standard because you wouldn't want a situation if you didn't have a standard think of it as your car takes a battery but not a universal battery you have to if you have a ford you have to get a ford battery to replace it you can't just go to walmart and buy one so that's why you do want a standard is to avoid stuff like that that makes sense Nick Cannon reveals he probably spends $200,000 a year taking his 12 children to Disneyland. Yeah, so this comes from, it's an interesting article, but it also has to do with a lot of listener questions because you ask a lot of times, you know, what is the most economical way to enjoy things like pop culture and vacation and all of that uh, if you have a family and, you know, aren't making $10 million a year? And my advice in the past is, well, reconsider things like Disneyland because of the cost. Now, where this mo- these uh, financial breakdowns come from, just to give a little bit of context for it, Cannon has 12 children with six different women, including his ex-wife, Mariah Carey. So it's 12 kids, right? And he takes them to Disneyland trips, usually for things like their birthday and stuff. He can afford to do all this great comedian, in my opinion, and you know he makes money doing it. So that's fine from that standpoint, but what about the rest of us that you know don't uh, make don't like have his salary? Yeah. yeah, don't have his salary. <laughs> so how much does it cost to go to Disneyland now? Twenty twenty three. This is the average. Okay, so this figure is a family of two adults, two children. So just kind of your average from that. This is Disneyland in California. So Disney World and some of the other parks might be a little bit different. So if and this assumes that you're going to the, go to the park buy food and drinks in the park, at least uh, I think it's two of your meals for the day there, uh, transportation from to and from the airport, usually LAX, staying in a hotel. Uh, this uses Disneyland hotel rates, which are a little more. You can get cheaper rates if you were to stay nearby, but just to kind of give a standard for this. 
and uh, based on that. So it's a one park per day ticket because they sell tickets that are multiple parks um, with the different things around there. So this is all based on that. So here are the prices. This is how much uh, how much you can expect to pay. The average trip was going to be about twenty three hundred bucks. And um, so when you figure that out, I mean that is kind of expensive. So the park tickets are one hundred and four dollars per day for the one park. If you do the park hopper option, is sixty five dollars on top of that. Food and drink. The average price in the park for two meals now is seventy dollars per day per person. So if you have a family of four. Uh, you can do the math on that. Transportation using a rideshare from LAX to the park. This would be like Uber or some of the other services they have available. Varies from 160 to 240 dollars, and then they're basing the hotel stay at 415 dollars per night. That would be the Disneyland hotel. Now, if you go offsite a property in your nearby, that does drop down a little bit to about 200 dollars, but you're still looking at a pretty good chunk of change oh, to but do Billy, this. You, you didn't mention some of those other things. What about the keepsakes, the T-shirts, the toys, the little hats, the balloons, whatever? You know, you didn't mention any of those things. Well, I hadn't hit the lottery, so I didn't figure oh. that in. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, these are all other things you, do, you, you know that would be part of it too. And you're going to spend money on other stuff. This is yeah, just strictly. I really wanted a little Pluto dog, and boy, he wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's other things they do too. They they have line skipping passes, which started about five hundred dollars per person per day. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy you know different things along those things. They do offer some discounts. So if you're military, there is a uh, ticket discount for that and some other things. But yeah, for the average, that's how much you're looking to pay and not including Gretchen's T-shirts and keepsakes and all that kind of stuff, which certainly will add on to that bill quite a bit. Well, sad news. Television sitcom pioneer Norman Lear dies at 101. Yeah, it seems like in the last month we've lost a lot of good people. Um, Yeah. 101, I mean, is a good long life, but even so, it... Yeah, you know, it's it's talented. sad to see these people. Yeah, yeah, talented people that really are the pioneers for how everything works now with television and movies and that kind of thing. And um, you know, so you just look through this and it's it, we're saying goodbye to a lot of good people. He was born July 27th of 1922. Five-time Emmy Award winner. Has done television and movies. First credit as a writer, uh, listed as All-Star Review in 1950. This is according to IMDb. He went through and did a number of different things, wrote screenplays for movies and all of that kind of stuff, and ultimately uh, got the Academy Award nomination for Best Screenplay in 1968 for Divorce American Style. But what I knew him for was what he did a little later than that. And I, I like sitcoms, especially some of the classic ones. I'm a fan of things like Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart and all of this. And in 1971, he created the CBS sitcom All in the Family. This was based mm-hmm. on a British comedy called Till uh, Death Does Us Part. And uh, this is Archie Bunker, uh, who's this massive bigot that uh, actually really not the the character was a bigot, not the actor, but he played the uh, role very well for that. And it addressed a lot of issues at the time that were very front-facing political stuff. You know that type. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. people didn't talk about those things. No, and then you had spinoffs. Uh, well, like the Jeffersons and 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 some of these other wonderful, interesting characters that TV at that time didn't touch, you yeah, know? exactly. You know, and on that, you know, he even made a uh, comment about this in a 2021 editorial for the New York Times. He did talking about these things. 
that, like you say, weren't talked about. Racism, which we just talked about, feminism, homosexuality, Vietnam War, Watergate, and issues like that, that these things brought up that just were not out in the forefront before that. So that made a lot of changes, and and it, it really was pioneering some stuff for the way that all of this worked. And a lot of the things that followed, followed those type of things. So, uh, you know, you talked about the spinoffs mod, the Jeffersons, which you just mentioned. Um, One Day at a Time is another show we did, Good Times. I hadn't heard of Good Times. I looked it up. but uh, Oh, I, I've you know, seen that a, one. Yeah. Yeah. Number of different things out there. So we do say goodbye to him at 101. And um, he uh, will be missed. GPS spoofing is creating problems, you think? <laughs> no, I wonder why that would be, you know, considering that everything seems to use GPS now. Um, <laughs> okay, so like, I say, why would someone do that or something? Well, this is something primarily being done by hackers, although there might be some state actors involved in this type of thing. And it's actually gotten the attention of a number of different industries, the biggest one being the airline industry right now that are meeting in January to go over what to do about this because it's sending their planes off course. Oh, 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 oh. Then I have to mention something. Last night I was walking outside to check on the mail and there were two two small planes like really close to each other heading in, um, well, in a like a crossing over pathway. And they seemed like they were close to the same elevation too. I just watched them going, I hope they see each other. And this was at night. It really kind of freaked me out. <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything about planes running into each other on the news, so I'm assuming they were okay. No, no, no. They, they, they didn't crash. I would have told you about that, but um, <laughs> I was concerned. They were very close together, and I yeah. don't think that was according to Hoyle, okay? <laughs> a, lot of these, a lot of these things use GPS for their positioning, you know, to be able to do things like that. And I think, you know, what you're talking about with the airlines, because it is – a big concern because it's one of the areas where you see it more that again, the hackers are trying to throw the uh, GPS on the planes off course. So what happens if that happens is a spoof planes navigation system will show it as being in a different place. So some of the security risks this can create is if a jet is guided to fly into a hostile country's airspace, something of that nature, uh, conflict zones, sensitive military targets, even here in the United States, if you were to get the commercial jet right now, off course where it flew over closed airspace, say over the White House or something, um, that would certainly create a huge problem because all of that is very closely watched since 9-11 to make sure that we don't have any more problems like that. So, And these systems are all over the place, aviation being one of the biggest ones. But I mean, even like the dash cam in my car has a GPS antenna so that it can record where I'm driving and keep that in the dash cam log. You know, So you see it in a lot of different things. Um, unfortunately, none of my cars have a re- regular navigation system, but for the other 99% of Americans that do, it could affect that kind of a system, you know? So it is, uh, it is definitely an issue and it's something that's being talked about. We're going to keep track of this to kind of see what's going on because while I knew there were some problems, I hadn't heard of it being this big of a deal until they started um, having problems with the airlines and the aviation and stuff that it's creating. Mm-hmm. Hackers are attacking water systems. Yeah, I don't know if this necessarily qualifies as news because we've been seeing, and we've talked about this, that our infrastructure for our utilities is very weak in some places. Um, U.S. authorities are working to contain a campaign by Iranian hackers against multiple drinking water and sewage systems around the country. And what they'll do 
is trying to dump extra chemicals into the water to poison it or create some kind of a situation where it either shuts off and can't be used or there's some problem. And right now they're saying a small number of water utilities have been compromised and they have urged operators to boister security, which, you know, in my opinion, should have happened, well, 20 years ago. Uh, Pennsylvania was one place that had to switch to manual systems because of this, and there's a few others. And the group that seems to be doing this is something called Cyber Avengers, or yeah, Cyber Avengers, um, who are affiliated with the Iran government, Iranian government. And again, so you have a state actor involved with this, which means they're probably very funded and all that kind of thing. And the hope is that some of these things aren't being carried out as a test, because I, I just know that not a lot of resources have been spent on locking these things down. I think a lot more should, but they've been adding a lot of digital things to our systems. Your water meters and all that are electronic now. Power, of course, is completely electronic. You know, the meter reader doesn't go out anymore. And if they do, they sit in their car to read the transmitters. It's a very different situation. As more of that becomes automated, there's more risk for this type of a cyber attack. This year's top gifts for the Jedi in your life. So tell me about this. So well, I would, if you want to be a Jedi, I would think number one would be a gift certificate to a psychiatrist. Oh, shut up, you Sith Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do. You know, for those that don't know, I do enjoy playing the character Palpatine once in a while. So we do have to uh, focus on what is right here. But no, in, in all reality, this year's gifts have been a little bit different than the past because we don't have a new PlayStation. We do have a new Atari 2600 Plus, but it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal. So a lot of the things that are have been standard the last few years, we're not seeing as much of now. There are new video games out there, but again, nothing that seems to be really big. There's a new iPhone, but it's not that different than the old one, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's not the have to buy. So a lot more physical things are becoming gifts this year. And there are I don't know, Gretchen, if you know anyone like this, adults that like Star Wars, not just the kids. Oh, dear. I would never imagine that. <laughs> so I, I bet you're shocked, huh? So, yeah. oh. <laughs> so here's a few of them that have come out that look like they're actually kind of cool. Um, Black Series, Sabrine Wren, adult electronic helmet. Cool. Uh, okay, so Gretchen, real quick, who is Sabrine Wren? And am I even saying her name right? Sabine Wren. She's the um, the Mandalorian from the Rebels series, and she's also in the new Ahsoka series. Yeah, and her helmet uses something called Night Owl, which is a type of Mandalorian helmet. Mm-hmm. And Hasbro has made this. It's $132. It is for adults. And it looks like it just came off the screen. It is actually quite beautiful. Cool. So I have a, you know, um, a Bo-Katan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, so Hasbro actually should send us a couple of these so we can, you know, make sure they I work agree. okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is one that I think I'm going to get. Star Wars Chatterback Chopper. Oh, and um, cool. so basically, okay, so the description of this, while R2-D2 undoubtedly holds a special place in the hearts of many Star Wars fans, there's another droid out there who wins the dubious honor of being the mouthiest and most willing to commit acts of violence. Chopper is beloved for his antics, and now this animatronic version can sit in your home and talk back anytime it hears you speak up. So, um, yeah, this uh, this sounds like something kind of cool. <laughs> so, so does that mean uh, you get to have Dave Filoni in your house all the time? Because well, Dave I, Filoni you know voices what? Chopper. <laughs> true, true. And, you know, we'll uh, there's 70 bucks at Amazon, so somebody order one of these and let us know what you think. And if that is absolutely true, then, you know, I think I might be the person ordering one of these. So 
Oh, anyway. All right, Ahsoka action figures. Uh, this doesn't surprise me that these are really popular, about 25 bucks a piece. Yeah. And they're offering a whole different things. But the one thing about this is there is a lot of attention to detail, you know, as far as all this works. And we've had action figures, of course, forever. But they're starting to, uh, you know, be able to uh, to do this in a way that is really just looks like the character has walked out of the screen. All right. Orbit Key Star Wars Key Holders. $45 at Orbit Key. And that can now organize your keys. Options include Grogu, Mandalorians, and, of course, Ahsoka herself. I have to get one of those. That's kind of a nice little stocking stucker, stuffer, as you were. <laughs> All right. Another one that's out there is from a company called Native Shoes. For about $65, you can get adult Star Wars shoes. They're made out of rubber. They're easy to clean and comfortable, according to the manufacturer. I haven't tried them yet myself. And there are a number of different Star Wars prints to look at them but they are available in adult sizes and they have everything from the new releases to vintage artwork and everything in between. Ooh. So I'll have to get your new pair of shoes. Now, Gretchen, maybe this is something you'd know the reason for. What is an Enso ring? Do you know? A what? E-N-S-O ring. No, don't know what that yeah, is. I wasn't sure either. So I had to look it up. Okay. So basically um, it's a kind of jewelry. I guess. And this line of jewelry, it's made out of rubber, I think, silicon, uh, that type of a thing. But it looks like it is precious metals the way that it's done, or at least it's described. Okay. And they've added Java the Hut, Indoor, and Wicket the, the Ewok. Different colors mm -hmm. are available. Inso, ENSO sells them directly for $34. And then, of course, the, the other two items that are on this list is they now have something called Star Wars Me Undies. So adults can now get their Star Wars underwear, uh, you know, because that's very. Had, I think they've had Star Wars adult underwear for a while. Yeah, but now you can get Din Grogu. Oh, okay. So you know, <laughs> and let get Din Grogu hang out from under your jeans for a pretty reasonable price. Twenty six <laughs> bucks really at the end. Yeah, it does just a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes. And uh, finally, Star Wars bedding. You know, this is, uh, they say, available all twin size. However, I happen to know, Gretchen, you have a full-size Star Wars bedspread, so it has existed before. It's really but, pretty. Um, Jeremy and I found it on sale and was like, oh, we can't leave that. <laughs> you know? No, of course not. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> so a company called Sobel West Tex has launched the Star Wars Home Collection. These start at $315, and you can do your bedroom up to look Star Wars. So there you go. There's a number of other things, too, like shirts and different various things. Star Wars video games are out there. So if you are looking for a game this season, Star Wars Fallen Orders on the PlayStation 5 for $22. Bucks, Xbox that One, one for $29. Yeah, I, I can imagine. It looks like it is. And, you know, um, my favorite T-shirt and the one I'm going to get says Clone Force 99, the Bad Batch. I, I like that one. That's pretty good. <laughs> this is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our show. User-Friendly.show is our website where you can find all things user-friendly, User-Friendly 2.0, Tech Wednesday, and everything else we do. 
Send your questions and your comments. Keep them coming in. We've got another great season coming up for us next year that we are going to be able to answer a lot of your questions and use a lot of the information you're sending over. This year, we've talked a lot about AI. This has been a big thing that's kind of come into play with machine learning and some of the dynamic things that it's doing, both good and bad. And joining us for an interview today is Alexander DeRitter. He is working with his company for dealing with certain aspects of AI and making it more accessible to companies and others and trying to bring this a little bit back down to earth, figure out a way that we can interact and work with these things in a way that is beneficial to both sides of the coin. There's a lot that this is going to do. We're just in the emphasis right now. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So with no further ado, let's go to our interview. Joining us now, Alexander DeRitter with Smith OS. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing. Oh, my my background is in computer science. I was born in the beautiful city of Bruges in Flanders, Belgium. And uh, I came to the United States since uh, 2006. And so I've been in, living in Texas ever since. What is Smith OS? Yeah, Smith OS is kind of the culmination of years of work in artificial intelligence when I started working in machine learning in 2008. And uh, the current trend where we're going to is you have a lot of AI models that are popping up every day. You've got tons of APIs. You've got a web that's in transition to Web3. And basically, we need a way to orchestrate or coordinate all that intelligence. And SmithOS is an operating system that lets you build AI agents by orchestrating any data, API, AI model, or workflow that you might, might have. Okay, so can you give us an example of how this might incorporate into a, a business platform or something of that nature? Yeah, like what business platform you have any in mind? Now, let's see. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to give you one where I wear my other hat as a programmer. Is It's a company that uh, is a large company that has insurance agents. And they're looking for a way to um, not minimize phone contact, but be able to kind of sort through things and then be able to analyze their data to be able to get more out of it. So uh, I just throw that out with you. It's not a guess. It's a project I'm working on right now. So help me solve my problem. Is is there any particular software they're using like uh, Salesforce or Oracle Sales Cloud or are they using any kind of of corporate software? They're currently on Salesforce uh, as a CRM uh, backend. And then their website and stuff is just something that was developed in-house. All right. And then I'm assuming they keep uh, logs of call transcripts and things like that as well available, maybe in audio form. Um, Yeah, as far as I know, stuff's recorded because there is a way to retrieve it. Right. Um, And then the CRM, the the general CRM software where you keep track of clients and when you want to call back, they have that. But nothing really beyond that. All right. Perfect. So... Let's say that you were thinking about, you know, how you put a human to that task, right? You might tell a human, go listen to every call, transcribe it, then, um, then look up the customer's record in Salesforce and see if you can come to ABC conclusion, maybe classify them in a certain group, like likely to buy, likely to need more follow-up, something like that. You know, this is something you can hire humans to do, right? Well, with Smith, you can build an agent to do that. Um, you point it to your um, call records. It can call an API to transcribe it. We integrate with all hugging face models. We integrate with all AI models. So you can orchestrate it that way. Now you have a transcript. What do you do with that? Well, you want to intelligently compare it to your Salesforce data. Oh, that means you need to hook into Salesforce. 
Well, guess what? Smith can do that too. It's all drag and drop, no code. And you can create these kind of user interfaces or solutions in a, in a relatively quick uh, manner that is also fully transparent and auditable. So somebody wouldn't necessarily have to be a programmer then to use your solution. Correct. Um, I've got quite a bit of experience building agents, and I think the, the best people are the people who are, I would say, like AI curious, who have been playing around with GPT and prompting and so forth, and they have a good, good head on their shoulders. Um, you do not need to know how to build an API. Smith does it. You don't need to know how to scale agents and, and services. Smith does it. You don't need to know how to handle encryption and open auth security and endpoint uh, endpoint security. Smith does it. You don't need to know how to hook up analytic systems. Smith does it. You don't need to know how to spin up vector databases. Smith does it. And you don't need to know how to program in any particular language other than, like, let's say, English. Uh, so you can right. program with your own native tongue. Now, there's days I have trouble with that, too, but I, can, I get where you're going with that. <laughs> so, and I like the term you use uh, to create collective consciousness. Now, uh, it would seem to me if you had, let's say you've uh, dipped your toe in the water and have some sort of an AI platform, you know, machine learning, say on Amazon or AWS or something of that nature, your system, you would be able to work with that or would you replace it? No, no. So technically speaking, Smith is not an AI company. We're an intelligence orchestration platform. So um, we, we were, in the past, I've got some AI patents. I've built AI. Um, too much money is going in that field. Um, you end up like being replaced every half year. So oh, yeah, we just figured out we would, uh, we would instead embrace the change figure out the world is always going to have better AI. The internet is a living, breathing Skynet waiting to be harnessed. It's like my grandmother's favorite movie, Black Beauty. It's just running around there waiting to be tamed and to be harnessed. And, and so you can ride it and off into the sunset. So, um, yeah, so if you have an AI and you have Amazon AI or Open, Open AI or Google comes out with a new model and it's better, guess what? Just orchestrate it. It's orchestration of intelligence. So collective consciousness, uh, as the term you mentioned, is a very interesting concept because um, arguably like humans are just a, a, a collective consciousness of cells working together. And human society is a collective consciousness of humans working together. And if you underappreciate the value of our collaboration, then you like look at Netflix alone and afraid. And they strip you naked, drop you in the Amazon jungle and see how well you do. Uh, I guarantee you, nobody's coming out of that ep episode having built uh, an Empire State Building. <laughs> it requires collective consciousness to get anything done <laughs> worthwhile. And so the same is true for the Internet. You can have amazing monolithic models, even ones that are one day AGI. You know, they can rival a human. But what good is it unless they also know how to work together with Others, other agents, other humans, and collect and maybe specialize so that they can co collaborate to get real stuff done. That's what we focused on: an enterprise, an enterprise platform to get stuff done by orchestrating that intelligence. It's a different paradigm. Think about intelligence. Uh, Skynet is not some monolithic AI that lives on like a single data center that you can blow up in a movie or something. 
instead i think of um i think i think of the future of intelligence much more as um as the internet being that collective intelligence and the internet being a living breathing organism that keeps evolving new websites come up new services spin up and the ones that are there keep getting smarter and that keeps accelerating individually because they themselves benefit from ai innovations to also make progress in a quicker way so really we got to we got to start thinking about the internet as that ai and a way to harness that ai in a responsible way is with smith we call this constraint alignment that means you don't mow your grass with a bazooka you know actually you know get the job done but way overkill so you may not need a terminator movie if you have smith with constraint alignment because you can constrain the ai to follow your workflows but still orchestrate that collective consciousness so yeah i just i love the terminator analogy here too because you're thinking about all the skynet and stuff that just not so long ago was completely sci-fi and we're looking at now do you so let me ask you this question since you bring up terminator because this is a listener question we get in all the time do you think this is going in that direction or do you think we're actually going in a positive direction with all of this uh we're we're most definitely going in a positive direction with significant consideration for risk and all seriousness of approaching that topic. Um, the biggest problem is not the AI going wild. It's humans doing wild things with AI. Yeah, um, I agree right. with you completely. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, we, we're still we're still have tendencies to be greedy and to look out for personal gain and so forth. And we really have to switch our minds away from a mindset of scarcity and in a mindset of abundance. And, you know, I, I have never met a single person on the left or right of political sphere that when you ask if you want a more just society or less poverty or more general welfare and health for people in the world, that they would be opposed to that. Everyone is in favor of that. So let's get our heads together and use this technology in a responsible way. Now, um, as far as the AI itself is concerned, um, something to keep in mind, right? Um, there's humans that are exceptionally smart. They're called savants. There's some movies made of it, like uh, A Beautiful Mind. Being way smarter than what is needed does not necessarily make you a better human. It does not necessarily make you better functioning socially. You know, there's a certain moment at which that benefit of more intelligence, it, it's just like leveling off. It's good if you want to be a calculator. But a calculator is infinitely more efficient at calculating than an AI model is. Trust me, <laughs> a GPT is not as good as my calculator when it comes to calculating. So if we're making AIs to be more like humans, the best way to think about the impact of very smart AI is think about the progress we can make if we had 40 billion human equivalent intelligences collaborating to advance society and healthcare and and address things like uh, poverty and so forth. Now, in such a world, you know, competition would be much higher than it is today. But you know what else would happen? The GDP per capita would be 10 to 100 times what it is today, which means that we can actually give all the billionaires more billions and everyone who's not a billionaire give them 100 times more services uh, we can eradicate poverty, we can er eradicate hunger, we can eradicate diseases, we can make enormous leaps that benefit all humankind with a little bit of willpower. So I am actually very positive about this. 
Now, I love to hear the direction you're going. And by the way, you and I are on the same page with that assumption. It's just, uh, it's nice to actually see it out there. And a lot of people are genuinely scared of these things, which is why I bring it up, because all they've seen is the, quote, Terminator, but not really the positive side that these things can do. So all right, I might be oversimplifying, but I'm going to try to just say this because I want to make sure I'm kind of understanding where you're going with this is basically you have an AI CO um, situation that coordinates everything that you're doing. And the other thing that you brought up is it's not just one data center. So it seems like when you're dealing with a distributed computing platform, if you're distributing the AI functionality between all of the nodes within that platform, it can grow infinitely because now you're not going to hit any of those walls. Is that basically kind of where this is? And, and tell me a little bit more about that direction. Uh, so the, the internet itself does not, does not have a cognition or sentience. However, the internet is a living, breathing, collective consciousness that can be harnessed. It can be harnessed by you, by me, by others. You could do that today by building very advanced agents with code or open source platforms. They're just a nightmare to scale and to debug. Uh, SmithOS makes that ridiculously easy. So um, if I had an agent built on my computer at home that harnesses the collective intelligence of the internet, sure, you could unplug my computer and it would go away. Right? Um, I hope that answered that. There was one other thing I wanted to mention regarding the, the last, um, last point and something you said earlier. I think it, I read it on Twitter that um, the Ottoman Empire banned the printing press. I have not verified this. I read this on Twitter. Um, and apparently it had the, the sultan or whoever was in charge was like scared of what it would do to his society and maybe his control and power and so forth. And to a large extent, uh, historians seem to think that has contributed to the decline of the Ottoman Empire later as other countries embrace the printing press and start proliferating and sharing knowledge. So a lot of what we have today with regulation can also be a lot like trying to limit or curtail or ban the printing press out of fear of what it can do to power structures and so forth. And nations that embrace it, but in a positive and responsible way, because I am, I am pro-regulation, but not in a way that it limits our ability to make progress for humanity. Um, and so that would be an appropriate analogy. And what I liked about this, if it is true, I have to disclaim, I did not fact check this, uh, this Twitter, uh, tweet I saw. Um, and, um, it's going to take a long time for me to call them X's. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but Agreed. when, uh, when you think about the power of the printing press, it is a tool. And so in, uh, in, since GPT-4, we have the emergent capabilities of AIs to use tools. And so that changes everything. You know, when humankind found the fire, it changed the world forever. When we found the wheel, it, it gave us cities and civilization and trade. When we had the printing press, it just took a few hundred years for us to have a person on the moon. And sorry to all of... Um, all of those who don't believe that that actually happened. But uh, um, so having a tool out there that, uh, that we can harness that's as powerful as AI and AI agents is fundamentally changing the world for us. But having agents be able to use tools also changes everything for AI and what they are capable of. And especially when it comes to collaborating with each other while using tools. So I want us to think about a society of abundance and how to create that kind of society 
about the exciting opportunities in the meantime for businesses. You need to know a few things. Number one, you can't rely on Google as the sole source of your organic traffic for very long. People are going to start shifting their behavior to start using AI assistance because as TikTok has shown us, we're all too lazy to, um, to do any work. We want answers in seconds. So AI assistants can browse the web for us so we don't have to hit that search page and go browse different pages and draw conclusions. People are going to go there. You need to be where your customers are. You need brand agents for that. Build the agent once with Smith and deploy it everywhere. Bing, Bard, Siri. I was going to bada Bard, bada Bing, <laughs> and, uh, Alexa, all those places, right? We need to be. Then for it, how it's going to change your business. Internally, you are not scaling your competitive advantage if your competitors are using AI agents to be more efficient with their work. We're still living in a capitalist society. If your competitors are doing work 90% more efficient than you are, you're going to be out of business. That means you need to adopt agents. Microsoft calls them co-pilots. They were just released last week. Microsoft co-pilot, build your own co-pilot, deploy it in Microsoft Teams. Your whole company can take advantage of. If you don't have Microsoft and you're like a Google shop or you're like Sam Altman and you're going to change stops four times just to avoid using Microsoft Teams and you want to use Google instead, you still have the chat GPT option today where you can also deploy GPTs. Smith agents deploy there as well. What does that look like? It means that you can now have digital colleagues who are trained on specific workflows available to your entire team to be more efficient. That is changing as well. And then finally, you can think about the impact of agents on things like industry 4.0, security, logistics, supply chain, government, and so forth. There are so many processes that suck, like standing in a driver license office for four hours trying to get your, your driver license removed. Uh -huh. <laughs> so could we apply agents to make those things better, right? And the answer is yes. Agents can do these processes that previously required human intelligence that were not, you know, you could not automate them with robotic process automation because that was too rigid and too brittle. Now with AI agents, you can do those things. The world is about to change forever. And how do you think about this all? Think about this not as competing with AI, but think about it as an abstraction level. Now, we had a time when people had to code an assembly language, and then they had an operating system, MS-DOS, Windows, Linux, and that, added, that created an abstraction level. So we no longer had to code an assembly. Now we could code with like base-level languages. Then we got into more sophisticated languages and frameworks. And today, you know, tell a JavaScript developer he can't use React or Angular and they'd be like, ah, <laughs> what do I do without my framework? Do I need to code all this by myself? Can I not use Bootstrap? Well, SmithOS and agent building technologies are an abstraction layer on top of AI. So you don't need to do all that coding anymore. You can drag and drop, program with language, and it makes it everything more and more accessible to the point where I don't know, my 14-year-old son is already building agents now, and he hasn't even gone to college for computer science yet. No, it's amazing to see it going in that direction. Okay, just a real quick definition here for our listeners that may not know is in an operating system, an abstraction layer is basically the part where your software is able to talk to the operating system. 
And what it does is it makes everything standard going in and out. I'm oversimplifying, but that's kind of what it is. But to use that, what you're describing is you have your AIs, whatever that may be, and now you have a way to talk to all of them in a standard way. Is that kind of, am I at least on the right page here? (laughs) Let me use another analogy that's even easier, if that's the goal, to make it easy. Um, My rice cooker is an abstraction layer, so I don't need to know how long to cook my rice. It makes it a lot easier. I just have to push a button, right? So um, coding without Smith and building agents with code is really complex. And when you just give it this visual drag and drop interface for businesses, you get a lot of advantages. And the advantage for a business are the same as pressing that button on the rice cooker. You do not have to think about all the complexities underneath it. You get perfect rice every time. You get your rice much faster. You avoid problems, rice overcooking and burning. So your AI is much safer, much more auditable, and so forth and so on. It, you know, the only times you do not want to use uh, abstraction, right, so to speak, is, I don't know, if you're a Michelin chef in Paris trying to invent a brand new type of rice from the ground up from first principles and infuse it with saffron because you're going to make a new Ratatouille movie. That's where I need an AI, although I might need one to boil water too. So, you know... <laughs> No, that's great. All right, let's talk logistics a little bit. Your website is smithosmythos.com. Yeah. And there's an early access button on here to sign up for additional information. What are you looking at for your launch and how's all that looking? Yeah, we're in early access because um, we realize literally everyone can build agents. Uh, you can build agents for um, eradicating, eradicating world hunger, but you can also build agents just help you with your homework. Not all workflows are equally valuable to, to people and to focus on. And so currently, um, we are working with two types of customers initially. One is like enterprise who have real serious process problems. They seek to innovate and automate. They're really excited about AI automation orchestration, and they want to really, really make a difference. And we partner with them. Um, Then we have another group of clients uh, that are really, really good for us that we're looking for. And it's just like system integrators. Typically, they're agencies. They already have enterprise clients, but they want to innovate and automate their internal processes. They also want to help their clients with their organic marketing agents and branding, but also solving certain briefs or RFPs or projects that they otherwise could not execute on because it was too costs, uh, too costly, time-consuming, and complex to execute. But then they have this requirement from the client, and they did not know Smith existed, and they were considering saying no to it because they may not be able to execute it profitably and timely. Then they learn Smith exists and they say, holy moly, I'm looking at all these opportunity here. I can make millions of dollars more. If you are one of those people, I want you to talk to us, go to smithos.com because we can actually help you execute those projects that previously were unthinkable. And so here's where we go. It is not about replacing humans. It's about multiplying our productivity. So you can actually increase your profitability, take new projects, execute faster. Um, In every way, it's just a win-win. If you're one of those uh, two categories, you can talk to us. If you're a mid-sized company or just an early uh, founder, look, we, we will make some exceptions, like we could do scholarship or something if you're like an exceptionally bright person that would have an exceptionally bright idea or you're in an up, up and coming economy and we want to be equitable and make sure that people have access in certain countries as well to make amazing things. Um, 
that you, you can always, of course, ask us about it. Um, but we're, we are a startup. We need to focus our energy. And so we're focused primarily on solving those enterprise and agency uh, use cases right now. All right. Sounds amazing. We're almost out of time here, but what I did want to ask you is if you would consider coming back on the show, maybe in a few months, because we're going to have a lot of listener questions coming in on this, and I'd love to shoot them over to you and maybe address some of them. Of course, I'd be disappointed if there are no listener questions. So I hope you enjoyed this and you can always find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Alexander DeRitter. My handle is at ADRitter. Uh, and um, yeah, shoot me questions there too, but, 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 you know, send them to, send them to the show primarily because this is where you get your news and they were gracious enough to host me and I'd love to come back. It's going to be a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All very interesting stuff. It's going to be interesting to see where AI goes next year. And please do send in your questions. Uh, Alexander will be back with us at some point next year to answer them. We'd love to see what you want to have us talk about. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge.